Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the final episode of our season of Firebugs, where we've been exploring the stories of some of the most destructive blazes and those who set them throughout history. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. It's true that during this season, we intentionally, yes, intentionally, we admit it, left out some of the more famous moments of arson in history. They're well-known stories, including the Happy Land nightclub fire set by a jilted lover named Julio Gonzalez in 1990. He was guilty of 87 counts of murder in addition to his crime of arson. And we didn't talk about Martin Sostra, a political activist arrested at his bookstore in Buffalo for, quote, narcotics, riot, arson, and assault. His has an interesting and often told story. The charges against him were later proven to be fabricated and part of the COINTELPRO program, which was the FBI's counterintelligence program used to, quote, infiltrate, disrupt, and destroy a range of activist groups across North America. Nor did we talk about how once, briefly in the 1980s, the state of Massachusetts became the arson capital of the United States. But there were reasons. There were reasons. And that's because we wanted to bring you the lesser-known stories, although no less destructive. We wondered, what types of arson exist? What kind of penalties apply? And... Before a plan is hatched, what types of motivations drive a person to ignite those fires? So we looked at things like the interesting phenomenon of firefighter arsonists. And we told the stories of people like Rose Butler, whose death shone a light on the atrocities committed in New York State against those who were enslaved or indentured, a state many don't think of when they think about American slavery. And then there was the story of arson in New York City in the 1970s. Events there were blamed on angry and opportunistic residents looking for payouts or maybe looking to loot, and that incorrect narrative lasted far too long. We wanted to tell the real story of what happened in the Bronx. The real problem was political, discriminatory, and systemic in the city. We also talked about how Alexander the Great maybe wasn't so great, depending on where you lived and the perspective that came along with that. As in all of our seasons, we were curious if some of these stories about arson and arsonists would look a little different when viewed through our modern eye. 
How did they fare? It turns out there were several motivations for fire setting, ranging from fame seeking to insurance fraud to revenge. This was not a season full of financially motivated crimes, as we've seen in previous seasons like art mappers and con artists. Insurance money is one thing, but it's not quite the same. Malcolm Nance, a former United States Navy senior chief petty officer specializing in naval cryptology and now a foreign policy analyst, has summed up the act of arson as, quote, the single most fundamental form of terrorism. It's the simplest terrorist tactic. As with every one of our seasons, we have enjoyed sharing these spectacularly flammable stories with you. If you haven't been with us during previous seasons, we have a tradition around here. In our final episodes, Holly and I pick our favorite shows and our favorite cocktails and mocktails. We'd love for you to tell us about the stories and drinks you liked best, too. Hashtag Criminalia on social media. We'll find you, and we'll see which favorites we have in common. And if you have photos of the drinks you've tried from the season, we'd love to see those, too. But before we talk about those favorites, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and we will meet you right back here. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.
Welcome back to Criminalia. All right, let's start with our top three stories of arson. Maria, what's your first pick? Okay, so we had a really big range this season. I mean, time range, you know, from the night that Herostratus destroyed one of the seven wonders of the world to Michael Marin fleeing his burning home in his scuba gear. So it was really hard to narrow things down. But my first pick is, ladies and gentlemen, The Bronx is Burning, which was episode five, Arson in the Bronx in the 1970s. And I'll be honest, I suspect I placed this as my number one pick for the season because I was most excited about telling that story and doing that episode long before we actually even did it. And that's probably also because I kind of remember this event really hazily. Outing my age here, right? I was a really little kid when this was happening in the late 70s. But it sticks in your imagination. And I didn't know anything about what was politically happening. But I knew it was only two hours away from where I lived. And I knew that it must have been a really scary place to be while that was happening. So revisiting that as an adult was really eye-opening and really informative. And, and it landed in number one for me. This was also one of my picks. One of the reasons that I really liked this one and I love that you selected it for us to talk about is that the idea of bad neighborhoods is one uh -huh. that circulates all the time. And of course, there are places where crime rates are higher. Like, that is a thing. Mm -hmm. However, you have to look at how that came to be the case and why. And often, if you examine it, you discover things like redlining and right. other ways that those neighborhoods have been strategically disadvantaged absolutely in order to create an othering and a segregation and it's like we have to look at cause and effect exactly. you can't just exactly. you can't just look at a thing and be like that's a bad neighborhood why when was the last time their right. schools got any kind of help when was the last time any kind of infrastructure was updated or looked at like those are also the neighborhoods where the roads look bad right. the businesses are regulated in ways that makes them not able to thrive so everybody stays below a certain income level right and we learned that they also defunded a lot of the services what if you don't have a firehouse what if you don't have enough police in your neighborhood yeah, those are really important stories, I think, for people to examine and look at. And this is only like one part of that bigger Small problem. Piece. Yeah. But it's like you kind of have to take it in pieces to understand how it's all clicking together to make a bigger problem. And oftentimes, as we saw in that episode, mm -hmm. like you just mentioned, oh, those neighborhoods don't need money. Yeah, they do. They don't need resources. <laughs> they don't need anything. They're burning their homes down. Look what they're doing. Like, that's not the story that I wanted to continue having out there. And if we could help get the no. real one out, let's do it. Yeah. A similar vein only in that it involved multiple fires. I liked our San Francisco episode. I did too. That was my number three pick, actually. Go ahead. Because I love San Francisco. And I have done a little bit of history research of that area and how the fires have changed it. This is another one where if you look at things beyond what we even talked about, right, the way those uh -huh. fires changed the makeup of neighborhoods, right? Like the Chinatown neighborhood moved and burned down. And that was one of the few that actually like self-rebuilt and basically just from their own grit and determination really reestablished. It's fascinating to think about here's a metropolitan area with a chronic problem that we can't seem to figure right. out. <laughs> that issue of always having access to water be a problem 
in the city by the bay seems very strange and it makes for a worthy examination of like why exactly can a place like that in its big growth period struggle so much with what seem like basic solvable issues and it also just points to like how hard it is for a city in its infancy to get infrastructure in place get right basic services in place. I mean, I know. think it was what, it was 49 to either 50 or 51. They went from being like a small hamlet to a city. Like you, your infrastructure is not in place for that. And one of the reasons why I picked this was because as I started reading that there were in those just few years, seven plus fires, seven big fires, plus others that we didn't talk about. It played out like an action movie that had six sequels. <laughs> <laughs> And it was, and each one was almost worse than the other. And the thing was, though, and you brought this up, every single time that the city burned down, the residents were resilient and they rebuilt every single time. And it was quick. And they were relying on people to give them infrastructure that was too slow. That was the not quick part. All right. What's your next one? My next pick is not a city. But it, it's in an, it's in a famous city. It's our first episode of the season. It was they pitch for loose. Yeah. The thing that got me the most about this was not the story of how the commune started, not the story of how the troops came into Paris. It was the propaganda that was put out about these women and the illustrations in particular. I'll describe one that always sticks in my mind, and it is a stereotypical mustachioed man with dark hair, chest hair, wearing a dress, holding a, I think it was like a, was it a bucket filled with gasoline? And that to me was not surprising because that's what humans do. But all of these illustrations through the entire coverage, through the entire trial, through the entire ways that they were called savage I didn't write the quote down. Savage hordes of she-devils, I believe is what they called them. I couldn't get away from the misogyny and how it infiltrated their story and the propaganda that was put up for them. And we know today, too, that there was no evidence that there ever was an all-girl arson gang lighting up Paris during this time. I really rather enjoyed telling their story. A good insight to the convenience of a scapegoat. Exactly. Right? Like, you you can make your own, whether it exists or not. That's no problem. I remember in the the midst of the Marie Antoinette movie coming out, there was a great interview with Judy Davis, who, that uh, woman. That woman. Who, of course, is in it as the Comtesse de Noailles. But she made a comment in it that Marie Antoinette was really the first victim of bad press. But then you look at something like the Petroluz and you're like, yes, Marie Antoinette predates that. But this clearly developed like a tradition of just picking women that could become the scapegoat for something. These were, of course, radicalized women, as they kept saying. How dare. How dare they. How dare. So my other one, perhaps a bit predictable, (laughs) but it's Rose. For all the same reasons we've been talking about, really. This is a person who was in such a disadvantaged position. And it's easy to just, like, one-line her story and be like, she was an arsonist and blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's like, ah! Right. 
we need to examine all of the nuance that goes with that statement. Absolutely true. It would be very simple to say this was a woman who was enslaved or indentured, whichever you'd like to call her, who set fire to the house that she lived in, period. But there's a big story behind that. She was my honorable mention. Yeah, I mean, Rose's story is heartbreaking and... She is one of those historical figures that makes me cross my fingers for reincarnation Mm -hmm. because I hope she got another chance where she had every advantage on earth and she set everything on fire in a different way. You know what I mean? Exactly. The fire within, not the actual match. Yes. (laughs) Those are the ones where I'm like, please let reincarnation be real. The one part of her story that, that just sprung out to me when we were working on it was when she told her story about going out with her girlfriends and for the 4th of July and having a couple drinks and just dancing and and being an 18-year-old. Right? I think about it, it's a very, it's not a one-to-one comparison, obviously, because human development has been perceived differently in terms of age today and even 30 Mm -hmm. years ago than it was certainly in Rose's time. But when I think of myself in my early 20s, If I had been accused of a crime, would I have come off as like the perfect defendant? I, who a person who grew up with every possible advantage and benefit, I would have come across as like flighty and confused. And so I think about that and like, okay, well, now Mm -hmm. think about someone who hasn't gotten the benefit of a college education, hasn't been able to walk around the world freely. Right. Maybe doesn't even have anybody on her side. Who has been probably self-policing in white society. From birth. And like, how are they going to react in a position of extraordinary pressure? I can't expect anyone to be poised and graceful and tell the perfect, consistent story all the time. You have to consider what that must have been like. And especially when you're accused by someone you know already dislikes you. And that you have had conflict with. And who is in a position of power over you. Extraordinary power. Yes. Yes. That is why I picked Rose. That's exactly why she's my honorable as well. <laughs> yes. So that is, that's actually it. We have three. Did you have an honorable? I was going to do a, another honorable, but I'm not going to. Before we dive into our top three drinks of the season, we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, and we will be right back. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. 
Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Criminalia. Okay, let's talk about the drinks that appeared in our lighter fluid segment at the bottom of each episode. Maria, what's on your list of favorites? Okay, I really don't think I put these in any order. But so we'll just start out with episode three, which was about Herostratus, and the drink's name was Gardens of Persepolis. And straight up, I picked this because I love the flavors that are going on in this drink, and I... I guess I could just say period right there, but I'll go on. <laughs> I don't really remember a lot of apricot flavors making an appearance in our drinks prior to this season, and I am an apricot fool. So the rose and the apricot combination with the little pop of the club soda, this is like a summertime delight, whether it's a cocktail or a mocktail. I love this. Oh, Gardens of Persepolis. The one with the rose-infused gin. Yes. Listen. I said it during the episode. I will say it again. Persian flavors are some of my favorite in the world. I have to think that's why this is at the top. I really, really love the rose flex. Mm-hmm. And I thought I might be a little of an outsider or an outlier in that regard. Because not everybody likes stuff in their drinks. I, I like do. flex of things. I recently was in L.A., And I had a wonderful rose cocktail at a a restaurant I was at, and they had Flex. And I was like, ah, it's not just me. (laughs) Right? Some people love Flex. I tend to very much. I like grainy. I like interesting drinks. So that one, just to go over the recipe in case anyone would like it, is called Gardens of Persepolis. And it is, as we said, inspired by Persian flavors. So it is an ounce and a half of rose-infused gin, which you just make by muddling some culinary rosebuds with gin and letting them sit for a little while, overnight-ish, is great. And then it's ready to go. And then a half ounce of rose syrup, three quarters of an ounce of apricot liqueur, three quarters of an ounce of lime, and then you shake it with ice and strain it over ice. Leave those rose flecks in. Don't double strain. Listen, if you don't like the flex, double strain. Uh, and then you top it with club soda. To make it a mocktail is very, very easy. You just make rose tea instead of infusing gin, and then you use apricot juice instead of apricot liqueur. Both delicious. Both It is very refreshing and delicious, I have to say. Yes. If you were in a heat wave right now, this is a great drink. My first pick is the bad apple from our Firefighter Arsonist episode. Interesting. Um, And that's because if you are a cocktail person, you have heard of fat washing. Or like milk clarifying too, like basically like 
pour in a spirit or an entire cocktail sometimes do people do with milk and then you let it sit it forms like a crust of milk on top which you take off and then you double strain it so you're straining out all the things but the fat in the oils in the milk have left this very silky mouthfeel to your drink and a lot of people love that but i don't know why my brain was like could you applesauce wash something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I put this, I have a couple of drinks on my honorable mentions, and this is there simply for the fact that you put applesauce in a cocktail and it's lovely. <laughs> and then you strain it out and something happens with the the fruit sugars mm-hmm. that just makes it taste really different and lovely. And it has a fuller body. I agree with that. It does. It changes the nature of the drink, although it's not like you're drinking applesauce. I love a little Demerara syrup. Yeah. I love a little vanilla liqueur. So this is pretty much in my wheelhouse anyway. For that one, in case you do not recall it, you are going to combine two ounces of vodka and applesauce in your shaking tin and stir it and let it sit. You can also add a couple drops of like a golden bitter if you want. But if you don't have bitters, no worries. Or you can use a different kind of bitter. It's up to you. And then... You will add your other ingredients to the tin after that sits for a little while. So that is a half ounce of lemon juice, a half ounce of demerara syrup, and a half ounce of vanilla liqueur. And then you shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it without ice first at a dry shake and then with ice. And then you double strain it into your cocktail glass. And it is oddly smooth and delicious. To make it as a mocktail, you're just going to sub out water or apple cinnamon tea for your your vodka. So you'll still do the applesauce wash, but do it with tea. And then in lieu of vanilla liqueur, you're going to use a vanilla syrup. If you do that, you probably want to put less demerara in. I would drop it down to like a quarter ounce. You don't need much, but it does change the flavor because it has such a rich flavor. And then you're good. Delicious. Meow. My second drink that I picked, I went back and forth on this one, but I chose from episode nine, Mr. James Aitken, the I'm helping. I'm helping. And there are two things I have to say about this drink. One, it's based on a drink that's associated with parties and gatherings because it's based on a punch and inspired by our main guy, James, who so desperately wanted to make friends and be known and to make a punch and to have a celebration and to be a hero. I liked that combination of the cocktail you chose with the story that we told. I also found that with this drink, I enjoy the mocktail much more than I enjoy the cocktail, which comes up for me from time to time. I very specifically like the replacement of the chai for the alcohol. I think that it brings some, maybe it's the chai that I'm using, but it brought some things to the table that I really enjoyed in this drink. So you could drink it all day this way if you really wanted to, and you'd be absolutely fine. (laughs) (laughs) That recipe is a half ounce of dark rum, an ounce and a half of cognac, cognac, I love you, a half ounce of lemon juice, and three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. You could also use a flavored syrup there if you want. And then you will shake with ice and you're going to what we call dirty dump it into a glass. That means you don't strain it. You leave the ice in it. And that's because the dilution of that ice is mimicking the water that would normally be added to a punch. You want it a little bit diluted. And then you top that with three ounces of ginger beer. And it is quite yummy, I will say. The mocktail that Maria said she loves even more is (laughs) a half ounce of spiced chai, an ounce and a half of apricot nectar, an ounce of lemon, three quarters of an ounce of syrup. 
and then same as above, finish it with ginger beer. I realize I was on an apricot kick this season. I just noticed this too. I'm like, I have picked two drinks with apricot. I did too. This may be an issue for me. Like, <laughs> I'm addicted. We figured it <laughs> out. Apricot. Here I am all saying that it's the chai, but it's really the apricot maybe. <laughs> And I'm, I am realizing in the one that I'm about to say, I did the same thing I did before in different format in combining rose and apricot, and that is Rose's Frolic. I actually predicted that you might select that drink. We wanted to hearken back to that night of dancing and fun Absolutely. on the 4th of July and something that just tastes like joy. Mm-hmm. And so it's an ounce and a half of orange juice, a half ounce of rose syrup, a half ounce of Saint-Germain or another elderflower liqueur an ounce of vodka and then you shake that with ice and strain it over fresh ice and you top it with apricot sparkling water and it is so yummy i looked at that drink on and off to put on my list and i decided i was like oh i have a rose drink i really shouldn't go for another one all the rose drinks that's my problem really i would have had (laughs) it could have been on it it's also a delightful drink and it really does capture that one night of joy that we know she That like buzzy feeling of spinning with friends and laughing. There's something about it. For the mocktail version, it's really easy. You are just going to use elderflower syrup instead of the elderflower liqueur. And then you get rid of the vodka and you just use a little more of the sparkling water. Also very sippable for like your afternoon while you're sitting at your computer clacking away beverage. Exactly. (laughs) That's like one where I'm like, I feel like I should make just like a gallon of it. I always have a beverage in my hand and I'm always drinking something. So like that would be a good one, I think, to make in bulk. Holly and I both dislike the taste of water. So any of these beverages will substitute. Doctor that business up. Doctor it up. (laughs) My third choice is probably the shortest ingredient list drink that we had. I may be incorrect, but I think I'm right on this. This was Episode 10 about medieval Scandinavian arson. (gasps) That is my number one choice. Iceland's murder by fire, level-headed. So we've got lime juice, ginger beer, and was it aquavit or was it brennevin? It was brennevin. It's brennevin, but if you cannot get brennevin, which is Iceland's spirit that is served everywhere and is delicious, you can get aquavit. It is a type of aquavit. And I will say this, this is kind of a mode of, of, I don't know if I would call it a correction, because I did have this discussion in Iceland with several Icelandic bartenders, because some of them will go, no, it's its own thing. And others will say, it's an aquavit. (laughs) I had mentioned, I think, that when I made it for the episode, I used my last little bit Mm -hmm. that I had taken home, which was in one of those little mini bottles. I had since ordered and managed to get two full-size bottles. And I noticed that on the bottom of the label on the full-size bottle, it says <laughs> I guess you know the answer. <laughs> it does have a flavor that is slightly different from a standard Aquavit. But, oh, this is my favorite. It's one of my favorite drinks to make here at home anyway. I don't think I've had a cocktail with a caraway flavor to it. And I thought that was, it was new to me. It was really interesting. And I like caraway. So I, I was not turned off by it in any way. But, I, and then plus it's just, it's three ingredients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take a wrong easy. with that. And you build it in the glass. So it's, if you're like, I would really like a drink right now, in 90 seconds, you can have one. And the mocktail is super easy. I think we just swapped out tea. Mm-hmm. You just make caraway tea instead of your Brennevin or Aquavit. 
I love it. I love it. I could drink seven of them. Should I? No. No. But I could. But you could because of the flavor, but you don't want to wake up tomorrow. With that I could. <laughs> Did you have honorable mentions? Actually, so I have technically, I put it under honorable mentions, but here's the thing. As I was thinking about all of our drinks this season, I noticed that we had sort of a list of drinks that had one thing in common, and I loved it. Infusions, interesting infusions. We had rose-infused gin. We had paprika-infused vodka in the uh, the gasoline ghoul. We had saffron-infused gin in the dowser. Look, we I'm going had, through a phase, clearly. I, I loved it. The paprika-infused vodka. I always assume when we infuse something, it's going to be a vodka. I don't know why my brain always goes there. So the fact that we infused gin in a couple ways, I thought that was really, that was interesting and fancy to me. <laughs> Here's the thing that I love about doing infusions. They change things and make them interesting without feeling fancy. Like, you know, I mean, obviously anyone who's been listening, I don't tend to make fussy drinks, right? There's not a lot of weird stuff going on. Like, even if we're doing some multiple steps, they're easy steps. It's like, you don't need a lot of stuff. You might need a freezer. You need an ice cube tray or refrigerator, but you're good. I try not to go overboard with like specialty spirits or anything that's super expensive because like I I love drinks that are fancy, but for just making them at home, most of the time I would rather just get the drink made so I can get on with enjoying it. And usually that means someone is at my house and right. I want to enjoy them and not be like, hold on. I have to set fire to the sage, <laughs> which I will do sometimes for fun, but I like an unfussy drink. That's the bottom line, yeah. right? At the end of the day, I love a dive bar. Like, I don't need fancy, but infusing stuff makes the flavors really interesting and sometimes taste a little elevated. Throw a tea bag in your spirit, come back 30 minutes later, and it's something that has a new flavor. Then make your regular cocktail with it. Great. Paprika-infused vodka. <laughs> You're really hung up. Like, seriously, like, when we first talked about this drink, I was like, I'm going to infuse it with paprika? And then I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, I had never actually considered paprika in my drinks before. I don't know why. If I had, maybe it was a Bloody Mary because it's obvious. But Right. And it's, you would have think, I love violet. So for me to have chosen the gasoline ghoul, which has that as an ingredient. It's creme de violette. Normally, the violet, that would be the reason why I would be attracted to this drink. But I just got really hooked on the paprika infused vodka. The fun thing, too, for any of our listeners that are like, I don't know, I might want to try something infused, but you maybe don't want to put it into a drink where you use up a lot of other ingredients. I like to sometimes just pick a tea that I'm interested in, infuse vodka or gin with it, and just do a vodka soda or a gin and soda. And that way you really get a sense of, okay, how does this actually taste? Yes. What does this taste like when it's mixed with bubbles? What is this? And then like you're, if you're like me, you're in trouble because yeah. you suddenly have 20 <laughs> little mason jars across your bar <laughs> that you hopefully remembered right. to label along right. the way. I definitely have a couple that I'm like, uh-oh, what is this? Let's taste it and find Let's out. Smell, smells like flowers. Okay. Like <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to label the paprika vodka. Oh, did you? And later, I thought it was, I think I thought it was cinnamon. Ooh, and then I opened it and I was different. like, that doesn't smell right. <laughs> and I tasted it and I was like, oh, this is that. As soon as you taste it, you completely know. But yeah, not cinnamon. Yes. <laughs> and also, I will say this. Paprika is interesting to me. This is another one if you want to infuse your vodka with paprika and play with it. 
That's not a flavor we associate with sweet at all. But the paprika-infused vodka with just a little vanilla syrup and a soda, weirdly yummy. Everything was like kind of a an honorable mention for me this time. I know. This was a great season of drinks. And it's funny when I wrote down my honorable mentions, I'm like, wow, there's four, five. I mentioned the applesauce earlier. Most of the drinks ended up on my document. I really liked the dowser, which was the one that had the gin with saffron. That has two ounces of gin with saffron, an ounce of lemon juice, an ounce of simple syrup, and an egg white. And then you shake that up, get it really frothy, and pour it into a pre-chilled glass that has Lille Blanc as a glaze. That's a, just a yummy drink. I want to make that drink right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's coming up tonight. <laughs> I know, right? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. You but yeah, those are probably more thoughts than we expected on making drinks. But it's been a it's been an a fun season, even though a lot of the stories are not fun. I kind of challenged myself to make the drinks a little more fun because the stories are not as fun. Arson season had some terrifying and terrible stories to tell. Yeah. And some that are just really sad. Yeah. And are not great. So we want to again thank you for joining us for the finale of Firebug Season. And we hope you will join us next week because we have the first episode of a brand new season. This time we're going to talk about forgers and fakeries committed throughout history, and we hope to see you there. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.